Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we are going to be talking about something that we've spent quite a bit of time, um, you know, discussing in the past, and I guess it's a continuation of that conversation, and that's around the cybersecurity. You know, depending on uh, if you're one of those people that follows months and weeks and, you know, special days and occasions, um, you know, I hear that, you know, this is cybersecurity month um you know that's what i'm hearing out there in the world uh so you've actually been engaging quite a bit um on the writing side um you know when it comes to cybersecurity. uh but right now for today's discussion we are joined by a company that we've um you know talked to a couple of times in this particular realm that is access communications and then in the past we've actually had ruby uh, rudy opperman as well as uh, marcel burns who have both been on the on the platform to talk about you know various aspects access is a network technology company that specializes in the, the manufacture of uh, network cameras access control and audio devices for surveillance but for today we're going to be talking to um, Stephen Kenny uh, who is a manager for architecture and engineering over at access and he's going to be giving us a little bit of insights um, into what it takes to secure critical systems, networks, and data. So, Stephen, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Good to be joining you today. No, thank you so much. Uh, so, you know, Stephen is actually joining us uh, from Sweden. Um, you know, so really, the, you know, thanking him uh, for giving us a little bit, uh, you know, of time, um, you know, in his very busy schedule. Now, Stephen, you heard us giving us a little bit of insight into what Access is and does, uh, but maybe you could uh, give us a more polished version of that as someone who actually works at Access and maybe some insight uh, into what it means when we say that you are, you know, a manager for architecture and engineering? Yeah, thank you very much for the kind introduction and uh, for affording me the chance to speak with you today. So a real high level overview of, of Axis is, um, so traditionally we are a, a manufacturer, a technology organisation that manu manufactures equipment for the physical security industry. Like you said, we've done network surveillance, cameras, access control, audio, radar, analytics, and it's really been focused on providing a high level of security um, for different business applications. And as we evolve and we grow into that, um, we start to see uh, the technology that we design and we manufacture and we deploy through our um, extensive network of partners being used for lots of different applications around business optimization, uh, industrial applications as well. So I guess we are we see our technology um, being deployed in so many different areas that is just beyond the traditional security application today. Um, we are probably one of the largest investors in innovation. Um, we're probably at the forefront of innovation when we talk around technology for for security and beyond security applications and, and that's really our it's embedded within our swedish culture and um, sweden is as a country is incredibly innovative and we find that within the organization's dna and um, we're always open to working with lots of different partners 
Um, so rather than build a, a sort of a closed environment, which is an axis end to end, we we have an extensive ecosystem that I guess we, we'd class as sort of powered by partnerships. Um, so we've got lots of different areas that, that we can support businesses with moving forward. And obviously where we are today, we're, we're talking around cybersecurity. And I think as an organisation, whilst Whilst we are seen as a physical security application, we we absolutely understand the importance of the deployment of our technology. We understand the risk associated with that. And more importantly, we, we invest in making sure that we can provide mitigation tactics to support businesses in hopefully mitigating the, the technologies that we provide to the market to provide security being the root cause of a security attack. Now, thank you so much for that, uh, you know, Stephen. And uh, there is, you know, certainly a lot to unpack, um, you know, from what you said, whether it's the devices, the access control and uh, the various uh, devices that you guys have out there. And when it comes specifically to those devices, I think they could be placed under the umbrella of the Internet of Things, you know, sensors, cameras, all of these things that are helping us to have a more connected world, right? And one of the things I'm always wondering about is how does a company like Access actually make sure that the devices that are being put out into the world, you know, where that's for industrial applications, smart city applications, how do you ensure um, I guess security um, from that point of view. I say that because I remember a couple of years ago, there was a huge scandal that happened um, with baby monitors um, where uh baby monitors were were being hacked uh a specific brand of baby monitors was being hacked and uh, hackers were using it as a way to spy on people around the world so in a world where we are encouraging the internet of things how do we ensure that security so it's a fantastic question and i uh regrettably i remember that example as well and it's it's examples like that that have hopefully driven change across the industry and um, i think the the first starting point is you've got to make security at the forefront of your development strategy rather than it being an afterthought so when we consider how and why technology is being developed ultimately people will develop a specific piece of technology hopefully to address some form of operational requirements that have been out um, have been outlined by a client but what we shouldn't forget and we shouldn't oversee is the other implications of that technology and the security of security technologies is hugely important so if i look at what axis does as an organization and i would say that, that we are probably one of the most advanced in terms of our approach is we have something called the axis security development model and that is essentially where everybody throughout our r d and product management and development team right the way through to the life cycle has to follow some form of common framework so at every stage they design security into the product and the thought process behind that is if we can we can design security in at every stage of the product when it gets released to the market and it's being installed and commissioned security will be embedded in the technology now there are terminologies things like secure by design secure by default and the concept of that essentially means that that when someone opens a piece of technology for the first time and they install it into a network 
it has embedded security from the start. So we will start to see prompts. And when we think about consumer technologies, when you switch on your smartphone for the first time, that's the same as any IoT device or any sensor. We should be prompted on, we should be taken on a journey. So we start to, to change passwords. It, it has encryption out of the box rather than someone having to find within a web browser a little, a little icon or a little tick box to enable encryption. Remote access is disabled. So if we look at the incident that you've essentially just identified with the baby monitors, that was a piece of technology that was making itself publicly available online for people to find. It had no level of encryption. It didn't have any um, it didn't have any security built into the technology. And regrettably, that is not the only example that we've seen. We, we've seen cameras that have been, quote, hacked, but I, I disagree with the term hacked, it, that have been in um schools so when people send their children to school there's an expectation that the children will be safe not that the video surveillance cameras that has been installed in the school that is there to make them safe actually putting them at risk by making video surveillance images available online and then it's all about making sure that the technology has built-in security so if we then look at the the behavior of an access piece of technology or any IoT device, um, does that technology recognize the firmware that's been installed on that technology? Because if it doesn't, that would suggest that the firmware has been tampered with. And that's really important to consider because if someone's going to tamper with a piece of firmware, that's because it's easier to infiltrate that technology in the supply chain. So when it's left the manufacturer and before it's got on site, it's a lot easier to manipulate the, the actual technology itself in the supply chain rather than hack the technology when it's been deployed and it's on site. And um, does the technology have things like secure boot? So it knows that, OK, we are going to securely set ourselves up. Um, and then obviously it's the ongoing support of that technology. One of the biggest risks that as an industry everybody sees is vulnerabilities and the vulnerability management. IoT devices year on year see the greatest level of vulnerability exposures disclosed to the market. And that's because people release technology before it's gone through security testing or it's gone through some form of quality management process. So what is the commitment from the technology manufacturer to make sure that they can address those vulnerabilities? How are they giving their customers and the consumers the ability to update firmware easily without it having any knock-on consequences of a loss of integration with a different piece of technology. So these are all things that Axis consider within our um, security development model. Um, so it goes right the way through the inception of a thought, right the way through research and development, product management, and then it goes out to the services team. So it's looking at the, the installation, commission and maintenance, et cetera. And there is there is no one there is no one policy or one process that can encompass all of these different areas. They all they are all equally as important. And they all need to be addressed in order to create secure technology. So security device security can't be an afterthought. And I encourage businesses that are working with technology vendors to evaluate these type of considerations, like how are you designing this product? Because ultimately, that product be could become their biggest risk to their business if it doesn't follow security best practice. 
Uh, now, Stephen, yesterday, um, you know, uh, the day before the the day that we're recording this, I was actually on a television program um, being asked about these issues around cybersecurity. And one of the questions that came up, you know, during that particular discussion, um, I thought it was interesting and I'd like to pose it to you because the question was, there's an increasing number of connected devices out there. There's an increasing amount of internet traffic around the world. There's an increasing number of people making use of the web, an increasing number of people that are therefore um, susceptible, you know, to being preached, breached, attacked, and all that. And uh, therefore, there's an increasing number of businesses and organizations uh, that may fall foul, you know, to, uh, you know, breaches and attacks. And the question was, you know, to whom is it incumbent to ensure the security of a particular system? And the reason I'm asking that question is because um, in your previous statement, you were talking about how important it is to have um, embedded security, right? And embedded security is, is an indication that the, that the company, that the manufacturer has taken it upon themselves to make sure that uh, they've built in security measures. So in this particular case, Access has made sure that they've got encryption and, you know, all of these measures in place. Uh, but when I responded, I said, all of that is important, um, but you also need to have uh, the human element also, you know, taken care of because you can have, let's say, a whole batch of, let's say, cameras that have the encryption and all of this stuff. But if the end customers, the end users don't do something simple like changing the default username and password, then it's then you can have all the encryption in the world. <laughs> uh, but uh, just that one little step, you know, makes you that more vulnerable. So, you know, that's just a roundabout way of me just asking, you know, your thoughts around responsibility when it comes to um, ensuring security in a, in a, in a, in a, in an increasingly connected world. Um, and that is a, you've summarized that brilliantly. Um, so one of the biggest misconceptions when we talk around cybersecurity is it's someone else's responsibility. And ordinarily, most people will look at if you're within an organization, mo most organizations will look at some form of IT department or your your CISO type um, individual to take guidance from. Um, I personally, and I think within Axis, we see it as a shared responsibility. So everybody within an organization, everybody within um, within the supply chain needs to take responsibility and ownership when we talk around cybersecurity. And that is because at every stage within that process, we can int introduce risk. So if I if I sort of create like a mind map and um, most people will ordinarily think, well, it's the responsibility of the manufacturer to make sure that that device is secure. And that is absolutely right. But that is the minimum. That is the starting place. As as a company that is working on behalf of, say, an end user, and they might be installing technology in, into that system or that environment, 
that organization needs to make sure that its engineers, um, whether they be installation or maintenance engineers, they have had adequate education and training in terms of how to install the equipment. The end user that is ultimately operating these systems needs to make sure that they are there. They have adequate policies and processes in place to make sure that they can mitigate um, mitigate an attack and that is their own internal systems but this is also the systems of how they evaluate the companies that they choose to work with if i look at say a consultancy and um, lots of consultancies will try and um caveat out of a specification cybersecurity, and they just say it's it sits with another organization well i think that's incorrect i, I think they need to put security measures into their te into their specifications to safeguard the technologies that they're recommend recommending and um, i'm going to go even as deep as governments Go governments need to create adequate legislation to make sure that I dare I say it empowers businesses to do the right thing, but I think maybe punishes those that are the bad actors. And the reason that I say that is because the cost to global economy in terms of cybersecurity would essentially, if we looked at it like a country, it'd be the equivalent of the, of the third largest country in the world behind the US and China in terms of what the cost of the global economy is. I think by 2025, it's reported that it will be over $10 trillion a year. And if we look at huge organisations like the Allianz Risk Barometer or the, the World Economic Forum that continuously write reports and do research papers on this, they've identified that this is the cybersecurity is the number one ongoing business concern. And that is because, you know, the loss of data, reputational damage, um, operational downtime. These are these are huge considerations. And the last point, and I think you, you stressed that point as well, is that we need to train staff that are operating these systems. People need to be empowered and understand the risk and have some form of awareness built so that they understand that the smallest and most innocent things that they can do individually could have huge business ramifications due to a cyber attack. At little silly things like um, if you find a USB stick outside of your office, don't plug it into your computer. So these these are all examples, and and we try and build it around a shared responsibility because everybody has their part to play in the security of their businesses, but equally the security of them individually. Um, individual attacks around sort of social engineering, phishing, emails, things like that. People need to be educated and trained to understand the the true implications of what it might mean, you know, to to click on an email or you know if you've if you've been told that you've won something and click on an email, you need to be very skeptical. Um, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, I, I think, you know, nowadays, uh, you know, the fact that, um, you know, people still think that there's a prince out there that has an inheritance for them. You know, it's it's a bit tough. It's a bit tough. And uh, I like what you said earlier on about the fact that, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you can't shirk responsibility. You know, responsibility needs, um, you know, to be on everyone. At this point, Stephen, I want to just pivot a little bit, you know, because, um, you know, when we are talking about IoT, when we're talking about
about uh, you know yeah IoT surveillance uh, devices and some of the technology. It's very easy for us to get carried away um, in the worst case scenario, but perhaps we can uh, look at the positive side for some time. You know to look at the fact that. Um, you know, this technology that we are talking about is actually helping um, in a lot of, um, you know, different ways, um, you know, out there. I was actually seeing, um, was it yesterday, um, that uh, the city of Man, uh, that in Manhattan, they recently installed a whole range of new cameras uh, that are going to be, you know, ho- uh, helping the city to implement a new, a new tech you know as a way to try and alleviate traffic um you know in that city it uh, you know using uh, using ai it's able to identify every car on the road and then there is a a bill that literally goes you know uh, against your car if you're coming into cities at a certain time as a way to discourage people you know from driving so that's just one of the applications um you know of surveillance technology and how it's being used to address a problem such as uh, such as traffic what are some of the interesting you know pieces of work that you guys uh, you know you guys are doing you know with some of your own iot devices um, yeah, great question. I, I, and I'm going to keep on that sort of theme that you've just referenced there around sort of the, the traffic. So, so as you said, there's a, there's a, a growing acknowledgement that um, video surveillance technologies can be multi-purpose. So they can be used in, in lots of different creative ways. Um, and we find that when we speak with sort of cities, uh, local governments, councils, um, they, they really want to they want so much more from that surveillance camera today. And if we look at the camera as as a, a collection method or a sensor, let's see what, what type of data and information that camera can collect and, and how that can be utilised by different organisations within a city. And so you've got one example there where they've, where they've taken that surveillance data to capture probably a licence plate. And what we can do is we can work out how long that vehicle's been in an environment and that can be associated with providing a ticket based on on that on how long that car's been there. What we also see is what we can do with with the sensor data is we can start to count the number of vehicles within a city. And what we know based on the age and the model of a vehicle is the, the the level of pollution that that vehicle will provide, what the the age is, what the model, whether it's a petrol, diesel, um, electric car, etc. And, and what we can do is using the camera data and integrating it with other third party systems, and uh, we can start to work out what the potential pollution levels are within a city environment at any one time. Um, and that's why cities are driving these type of initiatives, because obviously we're looking at the sort of the, the well-being of its citizens, which is hugely important. And that's one of the, the I guess, the key drivers around the smart cities initiatives. And um, so it's around how we can actually use that data to reduce the pollution levels in a city. At the same time, what we've also seen is that the same type of information, if we know the behaviour of vehicles, so so they're driving down a road at a certain speed and they take a right turn here. What you have is you have town planning officers that can start to look at the, the, the road infrastructure to see how we can move people around cities in a more efficient way. Now, I think there's a statistic globally that says that the average person's commute from home to work each day is around two hours a day. 
And cities are, have focused on that and thought, right, well, what, what is the one thing that we can give back to our citizens? You know, we can't provide monetary value. We can't do these things. But if we can make the city run and operate more efficiently, then what we can give back is we can give back time. We can give time back to people um, within the city that can spend time socialising with friends. They can go to the gym. They, you know, they can. You got a lot more time with family and friends, and that is just by utilising um, the the information and the data that is collected by the video surveillance systems to help automate and um, essentially improve how how vehicles and, and the transportation system works in a more efficient way. And then we can go way beyond that. So it, it, it's it's really taking away the consideration that a video surveillance camera is, the, is just there to create video data. If we see it as a sensor that collects information, then I dare I say we're probably limited by our own creativity on what we can do with this information. And um, we've seen we've seen huge organisations that that not only do they provide that information for accurate security data around crowded events, um, but we may see it in we may see it in retail applications where the the retailer might be able to automate and start to market information in a specific way based on the demographics of the people that might be entering a store. At the same time, they might be able to re-optimize their, their workflow and say, right, OK, well, um, we know that we have a huge amount of people that come into a retail environment between nine and 11 o'clock each day. Do we have adequate staffing to make sure that we can enhance the customer experience at this point? And um, can we repurpose? Can we take um, can we take people off different departments and put them onto servicing the customer? So it's really how can they take this newfound data and and essentially service the customer in a more efficient way? We've also seen in industrial applications where where they've they've put lots of different cameras onto uh, manufacturing lines and that has really enabled them to enhance the, the quality and um, control checks and um, there is an example that i know another media outlet has provided where they use camera data and they've created an ai algorithm that monitors the the car manufacturing process to identify the very finest and smallest scratches in the paintwork and essentially that is that is saved the, the car manufacturer millions of dollars because they identified before the car has left the factory of any imperfections and by doing so it's a lot cheaper quicker and more efficient for them to take that car back in and address the problems before they've left the factory so we've seen huge examples where where we've looked at crowd control and uh, we've looked at um enhancements to how people will navigate their way around cities we've seen it in industrial applications and it, and it is really down to we are dare i say it again we, we we sort of held back by our own creativity what data can we collect and how can we use that data in a more efficient and effective way to, to improve business operations a couple of things, Stephen, um, from everything that you've just said, because that's a, a number of different applications, whether they're industrial or the smart, you know, city, um, you know, type of things. And it's another responsibility question. And um, this one I'm bringing it up simply because you you highlighted now to say, um, and you actually emphasized it quite a bit, 
to say that sometimes we are just limited by our own creativity when it comes to how much use and utility we can actually get out of the technology. And I guess it's one of those things where it's like, okay, um, you know, to whom is that responsibility incumbent? Is it on an access, you know, for example, to go into a particular city, municipality, region, council, whatever it is, and say, hey, guys, um, here's technology that we have, and we think we can help you with your applications, uh, you know, with these specific, uh, you know, types of applications, or is it a city, municipality, council, um, you know, or government that comes to an access and says, hey, guys, we are having issues with uh, crowd control in, you know, some of our public events. And we're trying to see if maybe your technology can help us, um, you know, to be able to improve, you know, the way that we hold, um, you know, some of these events. I think the honest answer to that is that it's it's through genuine collaboration um, in identifying what what operational um, needs or considerations needs to be addressed so so i'd say from an access responsibility point of view if we are if we're working with a specific type of customer and client and we know what what challenges that they are looking to address and um, i think that we as a, as a business we have probably an obligation to try and to try and share you know within reason um what technology has been created to address a specific risk but I think it's equally important that that those that are suffering various challenges, that they need to be open with manufacturers uh, and sit down and say, well, these are the challenges that we need to address. And um, how can we collaborate with you and work with you to create applications and solutions that will hopefully address that issue? And um, one thing that I mentioned right at the start is we, we, we have a sort of a term that that we talk around and it's around powered by partnerships uh, and that is where we will we know that as an organization that that we need to work with lots of different technology providers we need to work with companies that will install our equipment and we need to work with with customers that deploy our technology to make sure to make sure that we have a true solution that meets the requirements. Axis cannot deliver all of these solutions single-handedly. Um, we, we heavily rely on our ecosystem of technology integration partners or our development partners that will create a, say, an analytic or a piece of software that we can embed into our technology that will hopefully or ultimately support the end customer. So I'd, I'd, I'd come back and say, yes, it is absolutely Axis's responsibility to make sure that we share the true capabilities of what a technology or a solution will provide. But it is equally important for us to work with our ecosystem of technology partners so we can truly benefit from their investment in research and development. And ultimately, I think we've got to work with the end customers because they are that is the stakeholder that has the specific need or challenge that needs to be addressed so they need to be open enough with us so we can try and support them and and as an organization we need to be we need to be able to listen and be flexible enough to to work with the the capabilities of a technology and adapt that accordingly coming back to coming back to the world of uh, you know cybersecurity for a moment you've brought up the term collaboration 
right? Um, you know, to say that when it comes to addressing some of these big, um, you know, big issues, it's about collaboration. You get into a situation and, you know, hopefully um, the person who brings up um, around this will give you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? will give you a sense of, uh, you know, some of the problems that they're experiencing in the environment and all that. And that then helps you to, you know, come up with solutions and you're able to collaborate uh, from that point forward. But if we switch back to the cybersecurity discussion um, and not necessarily a responsibility, but more from an awareness point of view, because, Access, like many other, you know, vendors, tech companies, um, you know, cybersecurity firms and the like that are out in the world, um, they will advocate, you know, as access, you will likely be advocating, um, you know, for, you know, secure use of these different solutions that you're coming up with and that you are deploying. My question is, does the encouragement of uh, cybersecurity, what's more effective right now? Is it the carrot or is it the stick? Um, you know, because I've heard many different organizations uh, are implementing different, uh, you know, different things. Some, you know, cybersecurity experts right now seem to be on a stick point of view. They seem to be uh, raising awareness around every wrong thing that can happen. Um, and I don't think that's by mistake. I think people have probably become so lax that you need to sort of whip them into, you know, into into realizing the fact that you need to take these things seriously. Um, yeah, so it's it's an awkward, it's it's a difficult one to answer in that I think human nature is we we go to sleep at night with the the thought process that it won't happen to me. And and that, yes, and, that is, yes, yes, yes. and that is that is front and center of the of how businesses will operate. Businesses will only will only invest in security and especially cybersecurity when it becomes a real problem. So I think as as experts, they are the the cybersecurity sort of evangelists. They are they're trying to build awareness so people will invest in security before it's too late. And um, we've seen. We've seen in different countries, maybe the US, maybe across Europe, where there has been legislation created for businesses to comply with. And the and the fines are substantial. Um, so where we've seen, say, in Europe, where we've had the general data protection regulation, they've recently brought out something called the NIS2, so that's Network Information Systems. That that essentially is a, a new piece of legislation that will fine businesses for a non-compliance, specifically for cybersecurity and the security of their infrastructure. And it is it's not all businesses. It'll be what what's classed as essential service providers um, like, say, banks, uh, telecommunications, oil and gas utilities. Now, they have to comply with this piece of legislation. And if they don't, the fines are 2% of your group global turnover, or I think it's it's either 10 or 20 million euros, whichever is greater. So the fines are substantial, but at the same time, they've also created director level responsibility 
So you have to name a nominated person within an organization to make you responsible. So if you have a non-compliance, there is significant punishment against against the director of an organization. Um, so so the punishment, so so the stick, the stick is not just coming from from cybersecurity um, specialists. It's now coming from government as well to make sure the businesses are compliant especially when the implications of a cyber attack might not just have a an impact on the business it might have an impact on society and civilians in um citizens of a country or a or a city um i'd like to think that we can incentivize and we can motivate businesses to do the right thing but people would rather spend money on areas that will generate money um rather than spend money on areas that will mitigate losses um, and that is just human nature unfortunately I, I think the maturity of a business if you've got a lot to lose they're the ones making the biggest investment but the another big misconception is people think well i as a business i'm too small they're not targeting me you know they don't want my data when the reality of it is a lot of cyber attacks aren't necessarily targeted they're done they're automated through bots um, so a lot of t attacks aren't specifically targeted at a business. It it will go after and it'll hunt after whatever it can identify. I like the fact that, you know, you end off on that point, <clears throat> you know, to say that anyone um, is game, right? Because uh, you, you've got this automation that's happening and, you know, these bots are literally going after anything and everything, whatever they can find. Um, but also, you know, at the same time talking about, um the financial aspect and because you know some of us are from the world of finance uh perhaps that's a place where we can end off because you know one of the things that you know i have found in my experience is that your decision makers you know um you mentioned a point just now about the fact that people would rather invest in things that make them money as opposed to things that um, you know some of these preventative measures uh but I've actually found that, you know, if you can articulate to someone how bad something can get from a financial point of view, um, you know, you sort you, you do, um, get, uh, you know, more of the attention of the decision maker. So maybe you could, um, you know, give us, uh, if you have any examples of how bad some of these, uh, you know, cases can be and the, some of the costs that are involved. Um, so yeah so so there are certainly uh, there are certainly i'm going to say good bad examples of where organizations regrettably have been attacked um and have been fined so so the two that are probably the most heavily publicized um across the european union is british airways and marriott group um regrettably they both suffered from a cyber attack they were both both organizations were the victim of a cyber attack. And ultimately, those businesses ended up being fined. Um, and it was reported that each one of those was over $100 million each because of the loss of customer data. So they were they ultimately were the victim of a cyber attack. And then they were subsequently fined by the data protection um, officers in terms of a GDPR non-compliance. 
so there are huge examples. We we've seen we've seen examples where businesses have been hacked and have been ransomware um, ransomware requests. So and we're talking, you know, a ransomware can be anything from hundreds of thousands up to tens of millions. And and we've seen it in our industry where where there are some huge examples. What one that was one that was heavily publicised in the US was where a huge retailer and um, they were hacked through their air conditioning vendor that was doing some routine maintenance and they and they lost hundreds of thousands of um, car details from from their customers which ultimately has cost them it's reported that it cost that that retailer anything in the region of two billion dollars in legal fees um, reputational damage fines and this was this was an attack where the attacker accessed customer data and this was through the ability to someone to hack their air conditioning vendor huge huge costs and regrettably we are only starting to see the costs go up as the as the as the path or the ease of attacking systems increases um we've seen yeah we 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 see the number and sophistication of attacks increasing tenfold one that i would one that i would say is is probably worth bringing awareness on is there have been a number of attacks wanna cry which uh, attacked the uk's national health service and um, that's reported to have cost the national health service uh, uh, close to 100 million pounds in terms of updating its systems providing new infrastructure but what people don't necessarily talk about with that example is we had to cancel in the UK thousands of operations and um, routine operations. We had to cancel thousands of appointments because we just essentially lost all connectivity to important systems. What people are, are, are starting to consider now is that it isn't just monetary. It, the cyber attacks can create a cost of life. And that is the that that is the. The real downside of of a, a cyber attack now it's not just monetary it is it does have a detriment detrimental impact on on life and um, because we do rely on systems we rely on we rely on so many connected services today that when they are taken down you know we, we need to be mindful of the true implications beyond the monetary considerations so we need to be mindful of uh, the true implications of some of uh, these uh, cyber attacks, um, especially when they go beyond just the financial aspect and they actually have a implication, um, you know, on health and or, you know, uh, outcomes, you know, when it comes to, you know, life or death, you know, using that example of, uh, you know, the national health system going offline because of such a major attack. So so that uh, brings us to the end of the discussion. It has been, you know, a really great one, uh, you know, sort of uh, tossing back and forth um, in the world of the Internet of Things, which is basically, um, you know, connected devices and sensors. And in this particular instance, where we spoke quite at length um, around, um, you know, cameras and surveillance equipment, because that's one of um, access communications as uh specialities you know just talking about the benefits you know of that technology um you know Stephen giving us uh, you know some insight into 
yeah some of the some of the the ai some of the tech uh, that is being built you know into some of these systems and some of the data uh, that can actually be gleaned um you know from having things out there whether we're talking about crowd control whether they're talking about traffic there's so many different ways in which uh, we can actually help ourselves even when it goes to things like pollution and how do you reduce you know emissions in a particular city uh, there's a lot that can be done through you know some of this camera technology he advocates for the technology but says um, that uh, a lot of the limitations um, have more to do with the fact that we simply haven't thought um, you know how far the technology can go as opposed to what can the technology actually do and then uh, but also at the same time just talking about uh, the other side you know of the same coin to say that with every advancement in technology in a positive direction there are those that are finding negative ways you know to use um you know that technology talking about the ways in which um you know baby monitor cameras were hacked a couple of years ago and you know some of the costs that are actually involved if people don't take their cybersecurity seriously it's incumbent on everyone you know to make sure that they are, that uh, they are secure uh, but as organizations, they really do need to, um, you know, be investing in secure systems. But at a personal level, um, you know, people really do need to be mindful because as secure as a system is, um, you know, if the individuals making use of that system aren't themselves careful, then they present a huge, you know, vulnerability. So that's where we end off. It has been a really great one. We thank you so much. Uh, you know, we're talking to, uh, you know, to Stephen. Kenny and uh, you know giving us uh, some insight into you know what's going on over in the world of access communications so uh, Mr. Kenny thank you so much for being with us today thank you very much for your time And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from my myself and the rest of the team it is a good evening good afternoon and good morning